Wow, can you believe that? Give them another hand clap. Hallelujah. We want to thank Jennifer Lockerns. What a marvelous job she does as director. And under the direction also of our children's pastor, Mike Lampkin. Can you give him a yay? Amen. Wow. What an awesome job. Before I get started in the sermon this morning, I want to just bring attention to somebody that has really applied themselves in a spiritual way and went through um, some of the hardest things that a person ever does when they go into the ministry, and that is to go through their exams. And uh, Susan Tidwell, would you just stand, would you please? Man, look at this wonderful woman of God. She passed her first test uh, this weekend, and she's now becoming an exhorter. We'll be getting them papers in and bringing her up. But we applaud you for your effort. And, you know, it's unfair, Mike, but they made you go through it as well. Amen. Even though you're not called into that arena, the poor guy had to go through it himself. And the spouse has to support that. But we just applaud them for their ministry, for the anointing and the calling that God's placed upon their lives. What a privilege to have those kinds of people in our church. Amen. To get in here and to work with us and to be anointed of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 13. I was going to preach this last week, and uh, um, the Lord changed my mind right at the last minute. You knew that, those of you that were here, and we preached on overcoming temptation instead. But we're going back here to our, our text in uh, Jeremiah 2, 13 that we was going to be preaching last week. Would you stand for the reading of the Word of God, please? I know you've been up and down, but this will uh, be a short scripture. For my people have committed two evils, for they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and you them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Brother Bob Fisher, would you please pray, Elder, over this service? Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. One other announcement that I forgot to make, those of us that are going to be coming as the regular church folks here next Sunday is going to be our Easter Sunday. And we want to make room for all of our visitors. So if you could carpool, we would appreciate it. We want, if you know, instead of letting little Susie and little Jody and little Whit or whoever all drive and mom and dad bring different cars, please try to do as much carpooling as you can. We're going to have our staff and different ones trying to uh, even... Uh, park off campus to give as much room for parking as we can, and we're going to pile as many people as in here for the glory of God that we can. Can you say amen? Let's have a record attendance, amen? Get out and invite your friends. Get out and invite your neighbors. I've even heard people say how carnal, but I'm not going to come because it's going to be so crowded. No, that's the reason to come and bring as many people. You get a snowball effect going and you get something going, get momentum going. So we want you to come out and enjoy Easter Sunday. Aren't you ready to worship the risen king, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords? Amen. 
Let's get into all the word of God this morning. This morning we're gonna be speaking again on our series that we've been preaching on the six spirits of the last days that is gonna be unleashed upon the church. These spirits were symbolic of seven different women in scripture that we've already preached on. Those of you that's not been involved in this series, I encourage you to go out and get the, D, uh, the CD. You can get those at the, at the uh, ministry table and I know that you'll be blessed by those CDs. But these seven women actually manifested these spirits through their lives lives in scripture by the way that they lived. And the prominent spirit that each of them possessed is symbolic of what you and I can expect to war against in the church in the very last days. We've been preaching all of that. And if you remember, we started out of our in our series in John chapter 4 concerning the woman at the well, and we said that we would be coming back from her from time to time. And this morning, we're going to be doing that. The woman at the well, we know, was a Samaritan woman who symbolically had faced these same six spirits. And we told you that the spirits, even though they were portrayed in scripture through the lives of women, yet they're neither male nor female. But they can represent the male gender or anything else. That It's not attacking women. We made that clear. But remember, when Jesus told her to go and get her husband, she says, I do not have a husband. And he said, well, thou hast said. He said, you have lived with five husbands, but now you're working on the sixth one, which represents the six strongholds at the sixth hour. This is a prophetic word. We know that because remember that Jesus came being weary and he sat at the well at what hour? The sixth hour. And she had had six different men, six different relationships. Also remember that it was Jesus that said in verse four, I must need go through Samaria. Now it was not, it was not graphically necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria to get to actually where he was going. And even if it was inconvenient and even out of the way, the Jewish travelers normally traveled around Samaria to get to where they were going to go. But it was just the opposite in Jesus' case. It was inconvenient for him to go the extra mile to go through Samaria, but yet Jesus does that. The, the travelers, they actually tried to avoid Samaria due to the thought that they would get polluted or become unclean through their Jewish ceremonies by going through that sit, sit land. However, Jesus seemed to make it clear that he had a divine appointment to go through Samaria. I believe that just as Jesus had a divine appointment at the sixth hour in the natural to go through Samaria to meet with this one little woman, that's why he went there. He had her targeted. That's why he went there to just see this one little Samaritan woman at the well. I also believe symbolically that Jesus has a divine appointment at the sixth hour, spiritually speaking, to meet with us, his church, in the last time. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's a divine appointment of God set already in the heavens to where he has a desire to come down and meet with his Gentile church the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I happen to believe that some of the greatest visitations of the presence of God has not happened in the past. I believe that they're here for our future. Can you say amen? How many believes that the latter house shall be greater than the former house? How many believes that the latter rain is greater than the former rain? How many believe that without a shadow of a doubt that God in these last days has got a desire and a plan to come down and bless his church before the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, raise your hand and shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for his promise of visitation. Before the seventh hour, the number of completion comes. I believe that Christ is going to visit his church in a marvelous way, in mysterious ways. And Jesus asked this little Samaritan woman for a drink and she says, how is 
it that you being a Jew ask of me, which am I Samaritan for drink? Why are you doing that? The Jews and the Samaritans, as we all know, had no dealings with each other because the Samaritans were considered half-breeds and they were not fully Jewish. Jesus done two odd things here. He just, first of all, he just spoke to a woman publicly, which was against their customs. And second of all, she was no ordinary woman. She was a Samaritan woman and she was twice an outcast in Jewish thought. How was she an outcast in Jewish thought? Number one, she was a woman. And number two, she was a Samaritan. Nevertheless, Jesus speaks to her and he asks her for drink. Aren't you glad that God still speaks to the outcast? Aren't you glad that God still comes down to those that are undeserving and still speaks and ministers to us? Those of you that are here this morning, every single one of us were outcast. Every single one of us need him to come to us and rescue us when we were in our time of need. But in the last days, there's already a biblical prophetic word that describes most of the church in, in the last days as being lukewarm and indifferent in the things of God. We see this in the book of Revelations especially. When John wrote to the seven churches of Asia, the last church that he wrote to was the church of Laodicea. And we all know that those seven churches represent in Scripture seven church ages. And in this last church age before the second coming of Jesus Christ, the prominent sin or the prominent problem in that church was lukewarmness. As a matter of fact, the Lord looked at them and says, you think that you have need of nothing. You think you have increased with goods. You think you're prosperous. You think you've got it all together, but you don't know it. But you're blind and you're miserable and you're poor and you're naked. He said, you're neither cold nor are you hot, but you are lukewarm. And because you are lukewarm, I am going to spew you out of my mouth. This is a prophetic word for the end time church that you and I live in. He tells us by the example of the Laodicean church that if we don't get our act together, that he's literally going to spew us out into the tribulation period. But Jesus himself said in Matthew 24 that in the last days the love of, love of many is going to wax cold. Why? Because the rise of iniquity. Paul, when describing the second return of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had a prophetic word in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 when he said, let no man deceive you by any means for that that day, talking about the second coming of the Lord, will not come unless there be a great falling away first. He said before the second coming of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a great falling away. Jesus said because iniquity is going to abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. Paul, uh, John, writing to the church of Laodicean says that God's going to spew the last day church out of his mouth if they don't repent into tribulation. And listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4 and 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressively or loudly or clearly in the latter times. And when's he doing it? In the latter times, the last days. He said, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Without a shadow of a doubt, we're living some hideous times. Without a shadow of a doubt, we're living in perilous times that Paul talked about. But we can see that these six spirits that we've been preaching on for the last several weeks, have that, that, that they literally is and will be making havoc upon the church and the people of faith in the last days that we're living in. These six spirits are strong. They're influential and they're deceiving many and they're caving in. And we talked about the different women, what they represented it from, from worldliness to, uh, uh, to secular humanism and on and on and on and on. But today I want you to understand there is hope. Even though these spirits has made havoc against, 
has come and made havoc against our culture and against the church, yet there is a risen Lord that's got a plan. If the enemy comes in like a flood, God says, I got a plan. I'll raise up a standard against him. How many believe that? God is not letting us just sit here and get destroyed. The King of kings and the Lord of lords has promised a, a prophetic word. I will build my church, amen? And he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many believe that there's security in the word of God? That even though that times are dark and times are evil, yet there is a righteous one who sits on the throne, who looks over his church, and he's able to see us and succor us through this time of tribulation and time of testing here on the earth. God is about to bless the socks off of his church. Amen. Give the Lord praise for what he's about to do. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Aren't you glad that at the midnight hour, the sixth hour, right before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God is setting up a divine appointment with his church, a divine visitation. And even though we're unworthy, even though that we, are, we don't deserve that visitation, yet God has set his face on visiting his church as he did to go through Samaria. The Bible says that he set his face to go through Samaria. It was necessary. It was important. God has got that kind of determination also to meet with us in the last day. Aren't you glad that God's a God of the second chance? Oh, hallelujah. If you're thankful for God being a God of the second chance, lift your hand and praise him this morning. <laughs> Unworthy, lukewarm, complacent, full of apathy. We even have certain pollutions and defilements due to those six spirits that combat our lives. And yet Christ is coming again to the church and offering us living water. Aren't you glad that God's going to offer us that living water, a new fresh drink? Being shocked that Jesus would even speak to her, this Samaritan woman, hears him say something precious to her in verse 10 of chapter 4. He said, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it was that saith unto me, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living waters. She replies and she says in verse 11, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with and the wells are deep. From whence then cometh this, this living water? She notices that he don't have anything to draw with. She sees that he doesn't have a vessel. He doesn't have a bucket in order to draw from the wells and the well's way too deep for him just to reach over and get his hands and sip the water. Her thought was that he would not have wanted to share a vessel with her for drinking water since that would be considered unclean and it would defile him as a Jew. And one of the greatest strongholds in the last days, listen to me, this is the greatest stronghold that we're facing from the, uh, from the, uh, uh, the, the uh, a war that is caused by these six spirits. The greatest stronghold in the last days is going to be in the lack of faith in the body of Christ due to defilements that impede and obstruct our lives. Due to the condemnation and the guilt of our own conscience, we cannot even comprehend a lot of times the thought that Jesus wants to come and visit with us. And can I remind this body, despite of our sinful condition, Jesus still desires to have a relationship with us. No matter how much we failed, no matter how miserably that we have turned our backs upon him and done had mistakes and, and we have fallen and we've done stupid stuff and we've done things that's out of the character of a Christian and we've done things that, that we shouldn't have done, yet we have a Christ that still loves us. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God 
God commended his love toward us that while we were yet even sinners, Christ loved and died and gave himself for us. Just as Jesus loved this Samaritan woman, I want you to understand he loves his church and he loves his people and he loves the children of God that has been born again. I want you to know that God loves you here this morning. You're the apple of his eye. You're his affection. You're the heartbeat of his desire. Oh, hallelujah. But Jesus responds to her and he says this to her in verse 14 or 13. Whosoever drinketh of this water that you're going to be drinking of will thirst again. He, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Here's Jesus. He looks there. You keep drawing from this well. You're going to keep getting, you're going to keep going being thirsty, young lady. But if you drink of me, I am the living water. If you understand who I am, if you understand what I'm willing to bring, if you understand what I'm willing to offer, you'll never thirst again. And can I tell you that the church needs to go back to the simplicity of the gospel and understand all Jesus wants us to do is understand who he is and what he's got to offer to his church. Oh, hallelujah. God wants you to understand that he's got living water here for you this morning. Notice the words in verse five and six. This is where I believe that we are at on the timetable of God. Notice that the Bible says that Jesus was wearied. He says, then cometh he to a city in Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat there on the well and it was about the sixth hour. Notice again that the Bible says that Jesus was wearied. Have you ever thought about the Son of God being wearied? We can all agree that Jesus was tired and fatigued in his human nature and that he was thirsty over his journey because he was 100% man. It had been a long day. It was about the sixth hour. However, if this story has spiritual significance, and it does, because it's all about living water, is it not? Is it not all about, in this whole story about Jesus being the wellspring of life, Jesus being the river of living water, Jesus being the well of salvation, that has spiritual significance. Then if, if it has spiritual significance, then is it possible that Jesus in these last days is weary in a spiritual sense with his people the way he was weary in a physical sense in his body. Could he be frustrated and weary and expressing annoyance with us spiritually due to us not being able to follow or be successful in a spiritual way? Is it possible that Jesus was showing that he, dis he was distressed due to us being prevented from progressing, succeeding, or being fulfilled? Could, it be, could he be frustrated at us due to us being prevented from doing or achieving and meeting our potential due to the sick spirits that has been holding us back. Could you imagine Jesus has all of these things that he wants the church to accomplish? You remember before he left, he said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my father. But he gave us the great commission before he left. He began to get prophesy over us before he left about the things that he wanted us to do for the kingdom of God. And yet when you look at the church as a whole in this 21st century, we see that the church is somewhat lukewarm and complacent and full of apathy. We are not seeing the manifested presence and the manifested glory of God on the earth that we should be seeing through the church. How many still believe that we should lay hands on the sick and they shall recover? How 
many still believe that we shall speak with new tongues? How many believes that if we if we drink any deadly thing, it's not going to hurt us? How many still believes that, that we have the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to break down and to pull down strongholds over regions and cities? How many believes there's a life-giving anointing for the church in the last days? Can you say amen? I'm here to prophesy unto this congregation. Jesus sometimes can get weary. Not that he's angered at us necessarily, but he's weary. He's sitting there, ooh, and sighing. You remember many times throughout Scripture when men would say certain things and it would not be up to the standard in which he had desired. It said Jesus would sigh. He would grieve. He would, oh. In other words, you don't understand clearly. You're not seeing the full picture. But I've got news for you. Even though Jesus may be sighing, he's fixing to start singing hallelujah I want you to know even though Jesus may be a little weary right now yet this old body's going to begin to get caught up and, and get caught up in the spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and you're about to see things coming out of the church of Zion that you've never seen if you think Pentecost was something how do you not seen anything yet Oh, hallelujah. We're living on some of the greatest times that we'll ever see uh, in our lifetime right here in these last days. You know, everybody has a time and a season in which they're born. Everybody had a purpose. I thank God I've been born in this last season because I'm living in the season of the miraculous. It's happening. It is happening. But, you know, this woman was not fulfilled. She had been living a life of illusion. We all know that. She had been deceived and brought into the false idea or belief that those six different relationships she was involved in would bring fulfillment. She would get with, with, she would get with one, it'd all be new and exciting, only for that excitement to run out and she'd go to another and then to another. And the deeper she went, the more in bondage that she became. Does that not sound like sin to you? There's pleasure in sin for a season, but watch out, you'll soon reap the consequences. There's always consequences to our behavior. There's always consequences to our decision. And this woman would jump from one relationship to another. Could it be that we as a church have also been influenced more than what we think by those six spirits? And if, is it not true that we're not fulfilling the mandate of the commission that's been placed upon us as the people of God? I believe that God is fixing to rid the church of the six influences that we've been fighting. Can you say Amen. Jeremiah said in our text, he said, before my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now what's this all about? God says that his people have committed two evils. The first evil is they have forsaken me the fountain of living water. And number two, they have also hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I don't have time to break all of this down because we got a limited time here this morning, but I'm gonna put these things kind of together. But notice forsaking God within itself is sin, backing up on God. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 10 and 38 says, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, he says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The Bible just says for us just to draw back from the presence of God, that it's displeasing in his sight. That for us just to, us just to somehow just ignore him or resist him or shove him off or not pay attention to him. He says, literally says, uh, that his soul has no pleasure in that. That's why the Bible tells us not to quench the spirit. The Bible tells us not to resist the spirit. The Bible tells us to all the time 
that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And yet the Bible tells us that if we draw back, if we hesitate, if we balk in our Christian walk, that God has no pleasure in us. Can I tell this church that we ought to always be progressing and growing and maturing and going forward? There are people that somehow get the idea, I've served the Lord 30 years, I want to take my rest. They're like the guy that says, I want to tear down my barns, build bigger barns, and then I'm going to store my goods and say, so take your ease. And God said, thou fool, this night thy soul is required of thee. Every single day that I live, God expects me to be gaining and growing in my Christian experience. There's no stopping point. There is no resting point. There's no neutral point. It is always a progressive mobility. It is always a forward mobility. God does never want us to linger behind and hesitate in our Christian experience. Can I have an amen? There's no such thing as, oh, Brother Gary there is a chief, and I am just a little old servant. Therefore, God's called me to serve him and him to leadership. Therefore, I don't have any responsibility as a servant. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to plateau and just take my ease. Folks, that is not biblical principle. Can I have an amen? We cannot hesitate. Second of all, let's look at something else. Look at Luke 17, 32. The Bible just says, remember Lot's wife. Have you ever even thought about that scripture? That's one of the shortest scriptures in the Bible, yet one of the most powerful. It simply reminds us of what happens if we look back and desire the old world again. As a matter of fact, Lot's wife remains as an example to us of what will happen to us if we follow her example. What happened to her will happen to us. She was destroyed. And this is why that Jesus said in Luke 9, 6 and 20, 9 and 62, he said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So let me tell us, let me spur you on to good works. Let me tell you, be not weary in well-doing, for you shall reap if you faint not. Let me encourage you to keep on keeping on because God is going to bless those that are faithful. Can I have an amen? Now, I want you to notice, if you remember in the dream that I had, all of this series originated from uh, uh, this dream. And this dream, it started out with me seeing a prominent, uh, well-respected, famous preacher traveling down a road in a car, if you'll remember. His travel represented his ministry. It represented his journey of life. It represented his service that he was rendering unto the Lord. As he traveled, he becomes tired. He becomes hungry. He becomes thirsty. And he pulls off the side of the road to get refreshed. If you remember, he pulls off at a convenience store to gas up and to get something to drink and to get refreshed. And as he pulls in, he gets out of the car and he looks up on a distant hill and he sees a water bottle store. And he says to himself, what am I doing here there upon that hill is where I'm supposed to be. And if you remember, it was quite a task to get to where he was to go. Can I tell you that the success of this man's ministry in the dream was due to him regularly pulling off and getting refreshed and getting refueled. Just as Jesus stopped by the well of Samaria being wearied and tired and he, get, and he stopped there to get refreshed, even so, we as a church have to have moments of refueling and refreshing in order for us to continue in this work of the Lord. Can I tell you, every single one of you saints, uh, you never get so dignified and holy that you don't need another touch. Amen? You never get to the place where you have arrived. 
You never get to the place to where you don't need another touch from the presence of the Lord. That's why the Bible tells us in Acts 3.19 that the refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. However, this preacher cannot be refreshed at the convenience store. He had to go up on the hill where the water bottle store was at. Our refreshing comes from an elevated position. It's not always easy, nor is it convenient to get into the presence of God. How many knows that? We got a theme going about presence this year. It's not always easy to stay in the presence of God. And yet the Bible promises those that are led by the Spirit of God, they're the ones, they're the ones that are the sons of God. Can I have an amen? And you and I, if we'll be led by the Spirit of God, we will not fulfill the lust of our flesh. So the empowerment and the security of our lives is us being spirit-led, staying in the spirit. We need to be refreshed, refilled, renewed, revived, refueled by the spirit of the living God. How many believe that? We're living in the last days of lukewarmness. We're living in the last days where people have got a spirit of apathy. We're living in the last days when perilous times have come. We're living in the last days when iniquity is on the rise. We need the church to wake up and smell the roses. We need the spirit of the living God in our lives. It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, the problem with the American church is, is that we have the same problem Israel had after they went into the promised land. The major lesson that Israel had to learn was the contrast from the water source of Egypt and the water source of the promised land, Canaan. I want you to understand that. Things change after you get saved. Amen? If they ain't changed, then you're not saved. Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10 through 12. Listen real closely. For the land, whether thou goest in to possess, it is not as the land of Egypt from where you came out of, where you sowed thy seed and you watered it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land where you go to possess, it is a land of hills and of valleys, and drinketh water of the rain from heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even to the end of the year. Did you hear that? Now, there's a lot of preaching in that verse of Scripture. The difference between Egypt and the promised land of Canaan was that in Egypt, almost hardly ever rain fell. But the crops were entirely irrigated by the Nile River and the different, and the different uh, streams and the different rivers and the different little creeks and everything that come off of that Nile. And uh, they were also watered by the Israelites carrying water and watering the different crops by hand. However, in Canaan, the land was entirely watered by rain from God. Are you following me here? In Egypt, it achieved its secure food source through human effort. But in Canaan, their food source was their dependence upon God. There's a big difference. You remember when the children of Israel went into Canaan? God says it's a land that floweth with milk and honey. They wasn't there to till the ground. They wasn't there to work the ground. They wasn't there to do anything. And what did the spies bring back? They brought back grapes of clusters where two men had to carry them. It was so fertile and it was so rich. You know why? Because the caretaker was God himself. Wherever God's the caretaker, there'll always be fruit. Where there's no fruit, it means that we're the caretaker of our own garden. 
Oh, but God is coming down to the church. And you know what he's saying? I'm fixing to make the church fruitful again because I'm about to become the caretaker of the church. And when I come down, every branch that bringeth not no fruit, I'm going to come, I'm going to purge it. I'm going to cut it back. I'm going to clip it. Everything, every root that doesn't bring any forth any kind of fruit, I'm going to dig it up and throw it out away so it won't be a hindrance. God says in the last days he's going to come down and he's going to start clipping saints and he's going to start removing hindrance. Oh, hallelujah. And can I tell you that God is about to bring liberty and freedom back to the house of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God's about to clean his house up. God's about to purge his house. God's about to bless his house because God himself has declared that in the last days I'm going to come down and I will be the caretaker of the church. Hallelujah. Oh, my. And achieved it in Egypt. It secured its Zeus force by that labor. You have to realize that in the Middle East, that water was scarce. It was precious. It was a value commodity. And it was very much needed for survival. Without the rain, they would die. And like our culture today, you know what? We take our water supply for granted. We want water. We just go turn on a hose, turn on a faucet. How many likes to take a hot bath? Oh, yeah, just soak, soak. When it gets cold, just put a little bit more hot water in it. And you just sit there until you just sauna out. Amen. Am I the only one that likes to do that? Don't get that visual picture in your mind. It won't be pretty. But we just take the water source for granted. And so much of us in the church world in the 21st century has taken the water source of God for granted. Amen? For the Israelites, the presence of rain in Israel was very much associated with the blessings of God. However, the opposite was also true. The absence of water was a sign of disapproval and judgment. As a matter of fact, go back and study any of the major prophets and you'll see that they decreed drought when Israel would get out of the will of God and it would be a form of correction and it would be a form of judgment to bring Israel back to their senses. In other words, when they'd get out of line, when they wouldn't do something, God just hold back the rain. Hello? How many of such serious stuff? Because if he holds back the rain, there's no other place to get water there. You're in trouble. And sometimes we wonder why we're drying up and we're parched and we're thirsty and we're weak and we're vulnerable. Come on. Why is it that we have no strength? Why is it that we're depressed? Why is it that we're dragging our carcasses around barely existing? It's because of the fact that we have not been drinking from the wells of living water. The problem of it is that God has withdrawn his spirit because there's things in our lives that's displeased him. But God's redemption and forgiveness has always been linked to him sending abundant rain and giving them living water to sustain them. This is why that Isaiah, the prophet of redemption, compared salvation and redemption to rain in the book of Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 through 7. Listen to what he says. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. 
Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground a bubbling spring. This is what he says. He says when the presence of God begins to take place, he said, you know what's going to happen? The eyes of the blind are going to boop, they're going to pop open. The ears of the deaf are going to be unstopped. He says the lame is going to leap like a deer. And he says the mute that cannot speak, their tongues are going to shout for joy. Because there's going to be water in the desert. There's going to be water in the land that's been part. God again is going to bring refreshing to the church in the last days. Because living water came directly from God is closely associated with God's spirit in, in their world. In other words, when it rained, they associated that is that this is God's blessing. This is God's provision. This is God's spirit working on our behalf. And matter of fact, listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 3 and 4. For I will pour out water upon the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants and they will spring them among the grass like polars by streams of living water. I love that. Listen to Joel chapter 2 verse 23 to 28. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, both former rains and latter rains. And he shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. God says you'll never have to be ashamed because I want to tell you something. This is how that you're going to know that I'm in your midst by the abundance of rain, by the abundance of blessing, by the a taste of living water in your midst. And then the prophecy comes, he prophesies that to the church. Because the next words out of his mouth is, and it shall come to pass that in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see visions. Your old, dream, your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And upon my handmaidens and upon my servants, I will pour out my spirit, saith the Lord. There was a spiritual lesson for the Israelites when they left the land of Egypt to go into the promised land of Canaan. When God chose the land for his people, listen to this. He did not choose a place where they could have security due to their own efforts and their own works. He chose a land to where they had to have a total dependence upon him. No longer could they trust in their irrigation systems and the labor of their own hands. But he placed them in a land to where they would have to be totally dependent upon him and he, they would need his presence watching over them to send them the living water that they needed. In other words, God placed them in the place where there was had to be total dependence upon him alone. Without water, they would die. And the only way to get the water was to let God bless the nation by sending forth rain. In other words, he had you kind of in a fix. If you don't live right, I'll stop water. Son, that's a way to make you live right, isn't it? Do you not know that God's got a way of making us live right? Hello? Just as things changed when Israel came out of Egypt into the promised land of Canaan, even so things have changed for us, those of us that have been saved and came into the kingdom of God through the new birth. Things isn't going to be like they were when we lived in our world, when we lived in our Egypt. Just like Canaan, kingdom living demands a total dependence upon God for our survival. When we got saved, we stepped out to follow him in obedience and he takes us from trusting in the security of our own effort and he places us in a place to where we have to learn how to have a total dependence upon him. Folks, you can't work your own problems out. You got a problem, cast all your care upon him because he's the one that cares for you. This business of trying to take things into our own hands, it messes things up. Even though Israel is in the promised land, 
Yet in many places, the land is not nearly as lush and as green as that is in Egypt. I'll be honest with you. It ain't what they thought it was going to be. It's interesting that God often desires dependence for his people more than he does abundance and prosperity. Because the dependence is what brings the prosperity and the security. You're not secure by the things that which you have or receive. You're secure by your dependence and faith in God. Can I have an amen? This is why that many times in Scripture God has called or compared us himself to living water. How many knows that God is the living water? I like what it says in Genesis 2.10. Look where God dwelt with man. It says, for Eden, where God dwelt with man, a river whelmed up that formed the headwaters of four mighty other rivers. In other words, where God would meet with man. There was such a body of water that out of it flowed four mighty rivers that watered the earth. That's where he placed man. Matter of fact, Psalms 29 and 10 pictures God setting enthroned upon the floods. In Revelations 22 and 1, the river of life flows from underneath the throne of God. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, I am living water. Listen to what he said in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood, cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come to me. As the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which them that believe in him should receive of him. And matter of fact, in Revelations 14 and 2, the voice of the Lord is the sound of many waters. In, in Psalms 23, the Bible says that he would lead us beside still waters. It was the psalmist that said in Psalms 46 and 4, there is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of our God, the holy place and the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right well. Listen to what Revelation 7, 17 says. For the Lamb, which is in the midst to the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. I think that you get the gist of this message that Jesus is the source of life. Without Jesus, we are nothing. In him we live, we move, and we have our being. Jesus says, because I live, ye shall live also. Jesus is the source of life. Would you give Jesus a great big praise this morning? It's sad, but we're just like Israel. We have not learned how to put a total dependence upon God. Israel, instead of keeping a proper relationship with God and trusting for rain, they begin to do a second evil. They begin to dig out their cisterns. Did you hear that? Instead of keeping a natural flow from the springs of living water going, which came directly from the presence of God, the Israelites begin to revert back to them trusting the works of their own hands. Instead of putting time into the relationship, they put time into digging cisterns. They put time into the works. The void of relationship is the same as digging a cistern. When you don't have devotions, when you don't pray, we don't study, we don't worship, we don't meditate, when you don't do those kinds of things, you know what you're doing? You're avoiding relationships. It's work that's getting involved but I want to tell you something. What you're out here doing then is digging a cistern. You're digging something to trust in the work of your own hands because if you're not building a relationship, you're digging a cistern. I remember when I was a little boy. How many has ever drunk out of a cistern? Raise your hand. Man, I'm telling my age, I guess. When I was a little boy, there were cisterns around Dudley where I lived. There were cisterns out on my old uncle's farm. When you went to drink out of a cistern, you got to understand something about a cistern It was never really designed for you to drink out of. Matter of fact, they had different kinds of channels coming off the roofs of their homes. They had it coming off a hillsides. They had little ditches where all the water would run to that cistern. 
And the reason they had a cistern, it was just a hole in the ground where it filled up. And the reason, and sometimes they big, they would dig and bury big tanks or barrels, and the water would run into it. Sometimes they'd have it above ground where they had big barrels, and the water would catch in those barrels, and they would consider it also as cisterns. And the reason they done that because when I was younger, the wells were a lot shallower than they are now. And in the middle of the summer, when the hot heat came, sometimes. They had a hard time, the wells keeping up. Sometimes you'd run out of water for a little bit of time until it seeped water back into it. So they made these sisters to help somehow relieve the wells. And one day I was coming out from swimming in an old swimming hole down at a ditch when I was a little boy and we walked the railroad tracks and it was the middle of July. By the time we was walking down them old hot railroad tracks for several miles and we got back into town, we were thirsty. We went by an old man's house who had a cistern and we drunk out of that cistern. And let me tell you something, honey, that was not good water. It may be good to wash your clothes with. It may be good to wash dishes with. It may be good to water plants with. It may be good to let a dog lick up on it, but let me tell you something, it was not good because that water stagnates real fast and everything on those roofs and everything on those little channels, that, that all those particles run into that barrel. Though a lot of it goes to the ground, let me tell you something, that which is on the bottom of the barrel somehow has a, a way of making the rest be affected. Can I have an amen? And here we are, Parched in the church because we've dug ourselves cisterns that does not quench our thirst. It don't satisfy. Come on, somebody help me preach right here. We have become just like Israel. Though it may be hardship to get in the presence of God, let me tell you something. When you do and you get a taste of his goodness and you drink from the fountain of living water, it is so refreshing to where you'll never thirst again. Can you have an amen? Give the Lord praise. <laughs> Jesus is the only one that can quench your thirst. If you keep drinking out of Jacob's well, you want to keep thirsty. If you keep drinking out of the old cisterns that you're doing, your religious traditions and the way you're doing things, you're never going to be satisfied. The Lord wants to refresh, revive, and renew every single one of us in this building today. I'm about to close. He wants us to say, my cup runneth over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The effectiveness of our ministries, the success of our lives, the longevity of our anointing, the blessings of our future, the result of our labor, all is contingent upon putting off, putting aside all of earthly labor and stop, take time, and drink of the living water. The success of the ministry in the dream, you know what his success was? That he stopped by on different occasions to get refreshed. But he couldn't do it at a place of convenience. He couldn't do it to that place that was a convenience store where they had all the stuff. He looked upon that hill, and though it was a climb to get there, and though it was a hardship to get there, that was the place that he was going to get blessed. He had to go to that elevated place in the spirit realm in order to be blessed. Do you remember, let me just refresh you and then we're going to close. Do you remember the content of that whole thing is that when that minister decided that's where I need to be? And what's so strange about it, there was no neon lights. There was no advertisement. There was no sign. The building was plain. 
It just looked like it was just a, a warehouse. And yet he knew for some reason, that's the place I got to go. It wasn't with all the glamour and the glitter, with all of the chocolate candy bars, the ding-dongs, the chocolate milk. Come on. The honey buns. Oh, dear God. The little Debbies. I want to tell you, they're from the... the I got to watch out. I got little Debbie vendors here. Hostesses of the devil. <laughs> Amen. Did I recover that, Brother BB, Brother Law? Amen. Here he is with the modern day facilities, everything that he ever needed, everything that he ever wanted, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, whatever. But he knew this ain't the place I gotta go. It's up there. And he starts to walk. And when he does, he comes in contact with that first spirit that says, I'm gonna hinder him from getting there. There's opposition. It's hard to get in the presence of God. You gotta be like the woman of the issue of blood. You gotta press your way into his presence sometimes. Because there's multitudes, there's hurdles, there's hindrances, there's all right out barricades trying to stop you in the spirit realm from getting there. There's principalities, powers, rulers of darkness that's out fighting you and opposing you. And here, that preacher starts to go and that first woman, he comes in contact with, which was Sapphira, you remember. And the temptation and the alarming of that. He overcomes it and when he goes to the second one, boom, I don't know why he done me this way, but I traded positions and I had to face five of them. That sucker only had to face one of them. And for the next five ladies I battled. Do you remember me telling those stories as we went through it? But finally, I get to that water bottle store and I walk in. And when I do, I know to go back to the back of the counter. Somehow I just had that knowledge. And I walk by, a long ways back there, and I walk by racks after racks after racks after racks after racks. Several feet high. Several levels of nothing but just water bottles, different sizes, different shapes, different quantity of waters. And I get back there and I'm handed a vessel of water by hand. It had a little part of a white robe to it and that's all I seen. And it reached out and it handed me the vessel and he said, drink, this is living water. If you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. And I drank it. And when I did, I started walking out. And as I started walking out, boom, I turned into that other preacher again. And I told you what the symbolics was of that, that it, no matter what kind of a world stage you have, whether you're a popular man that is reaching the world and flying all over the place or whether you're just a peon preacher like me in Popper Bluff, no matter how great or how big, how little, no matter how what age, he's a lot older than I am, he's a different race than I am, don't matter if you're black or white or Spanish, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how influential you are, how much money you have, what age you are, you'll all face those six spirits. And all of you still need the same water, the living water. Can I have an amen? But then the Lord showed me something in this message. He said, look around in my, in my mind and recapture your vision, he told me the other night. And I did, and he said, what do you see? And I say, well, I see the store, Lord, and all I see is just water bottles, just, man, filled everywhere. And he says, what do you notice about them? And knowledge came to me. Well, they have no label upon them. There's no identity. And he said, that's why, you know why? Because I don't exalt, nor do I, nor do I promote man. I only exalt and promote my kingdom. Amen? 
You want the anointing? You can't promote yourself. You want the anointing? You got to promote the kingdom of God. And then the second thing he said, notice something about them. What are they doing? Where are they at? I said, well, they're on shelves. And he said, that's what's wrong with the church, and that's why they become lukewarm. Though they become filled, they've never walked out like you and the other preacher did. You know, this place is like a ball game. A ball game, in order to be successful, what do you got to do? Practice, 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 practice. That's why that John and Miranda has the praise team come up, and they practice and they practice. Practice makes perfection. Practice in the worship team is actually the practice of the presence of God. That's what it is. Sharpening yourself. But we got this thing all wrong. We think that the ball game is everybody coming in here and we just get a big old Holy Ghost movement taking place and the church is just so on fire that thousands are going to come in, thousands are going to watch us burn, we're going to have these great experiences and this is the ball game that we're practicing right here for the ball game. This is not the ball game. This is the place of practice. We got it backwards. We're here this morning to get refreshed, revived, strengthened, practiced, sharpened, amen, so that we can go out there and have a ball game. Can I have an amen? How did Jesus build his church? Can you ask me how Jesus built his church? You know what he done? He went out and got him a big building. And you know what he done? He went out and got a bunch of people and filled that building. He got one of the most powerful organ players you've ever seen in your life. He got the best drummer. Oh, yeah. He got the best song leader. And he got rid of Judas and he put a good treasure over the money. Come on. He put a big sign up, said revival, revival, revival. And Jesus began to have church. That's how Jesus built. No, he didn't. That ain't the way Jesus built his church at all. You know what he done? He gathered 12 men together and he discipled them and he poured into them and he gave them springs of living water. That 12 moved to 70. That 70 went to 120. That 120 went to 5,000. That 5,000 went to addition. That addition went to multiplication. That multiplication went to numbers that you and I cannot even explain. And the testimony about them 12 men was, these men turn our world upside down. Can I have an amen? And here we are. We got a church that's been blessed. But are we just water bottles just coming here and sitting on the pews? Is that all we're doing? Woo, look at that pretty vessel. Boy, it's filled. Oh, how glamorous that guy is. And we pat each other on the back and we make people and we edify people and we puff people up. And woo, we got the title, we got the name, we got the prestige. The problem of it is we've labeled ourselves and we're sitting on the shelves and we begin, we begin to be rendered ineffective for the kingdom of God. But then there comes Ezekiel chapter 47. Can I preach just a little bit longer, about two and a half more hours? Ezekiel 47 comes along. Oh, Ezekiel's going in the temple and something, whoo, something's unusual taking place. We got a problem, man, the water pops have broken and we got water coming out from underneath the altar. Go check out the plumbing, boys. We got something going on we've never had before. And he goes up there and he looks, he puts his foot over in it and at the, at the altar, it's about ankle deep. Come on. 
And he's sitting there thinking, well, what in the world's going on here? And he starts following the stream. It goes south out of the temple, down outside the south doors, out into the street. Come on. And he goes a thousand cubics. He said, whoa, we got something I don't understand. It's only an ankle deep down there at the altar, but out here it is knee deep. He goes a thousand more cubics following the stream. Hey, we got another serious problem here. He says, it's not only knee deep, it's waist deep out here. He goes another thousand cubics and all of a sudden it's chest deep. He goes another thousand cubics and all of a sudden he says, whoa, I found myself over my head swimming. I had to turn back or I would have drowned. And the water runs south, east from the temple out into what they call the most arid desert place that there is in Israel. And it goes along and it runs into the Dead Sea and the Bible begins to tell us, go and read it in Ezekiel chapter 47, you're going to see before it's over that that old salt Dead Sea that had, had marshes and everything to where nothing could live, it was poisonous ground when that fresh water began to touch and revive. All of a sudden it says trees begin to grow up and it began to bring forth a food source and the, 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 the little leaves of the trees would bring healings, what it says. And it goes on and said, fish begin to multiply. All kinds of different, as the mighty sea, there was that kind of fish. And then there was all kinds of animals that began to, and then greenery began to grow up around everywhere the water touched them. Before long, there were whole valleys and there were offshoots at different places that were growing up with green vegetation. And before life, life began to appear everywhere along wherever that water went. And can I tell you, it said the further the water got, the deeper it got, the greater it got, and the more life life that sprung up. Can I tell you if we only understand, right here's the trickle, but when we take it out there, it becomes a mighty force to be reckoned with. And everything we touch is turned to life. Can I have an amen? Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to do something very special to you today. I was going to have an altar call, but instead of an altar call, we're going to we're going to do something different. I want my ushers to start passing out the communion if they would, please. As a matter of fact, I got ahead of myself. If you'd like to be seated, you can. I don't need you standing. That's hard on you. Hallelujah. This morning we're going to do something special. We're going to take communion. Go ahead and start passing it out, guys. First Corinthians, the Bible tells us that Jesus, the day, the night that he was betrayed, took bread. He took it in his hands and he broke it. And he said, this body has been broken for you. And then he begins to take the cup and he supped it saying, this is the blood in the New Testament for the remission of sins. And then he took the bread, he broke it, don't do that yet. He took the cup and he drank it with his disciples. And the Bible says that Paul comes along and says that examine yourself before you take communion. He said, examine yourself. God's wanting to refresh this morning or start the refreshing by the act of committal to communion. Now, I want to tell you what communion is. Communion is us doing nothing but recognizing 
and showing respect and honor for the Lord's death until he comes. That's what this is about. What we're doing is saying, when we take communion, Lord, we believe you died for us. We believe you shed your blood on Calvary for the remission of our sin. And we believe that through your broken body, you brought healing to us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Through his stripes were healed. And it is through that that we have to examine ourselves to see if we're taking communion for the right reason. Are we taking the communion for the right reason because we understand the provision that Jesus made for us on the cross? There's never been a time when I examine my heart and life and I ask God, Lord, if there's anything in my life, forgive me, but I, I, I want you to know that I'm taking this communion for the right reason. I'm doing it because of your love for me and my love for you. This is a memorial for you. And it is a solid statement that I trust Jesus to have full reign over my life as Lord. This is the way we're going to make our commitment today. And then from this day forward, we're going to walk that commitment out. Not by hewing cisterns, but by us keeping a relationship with him of what we've established and what we have committed to him today through communion. Is that all right? Amen? The ushers are still passing out. Is it? Anybody that has not got it yet, raise your hand, please. Let the ushers get them to them if you want one. If you're a visitor here, we have open communion. That means that you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion with us. If you're a believer and you're a part of the body of Christ, you're our brother, you're our sister in the Lord, don't matter what kind of title that you have over you or from what church you come from, you're our brother and sister and you can take communion with us. We welcome that here today. Amen. Does anybody not have communion that wants communion? I can't see. I think we're all on the same page here. Are they done, ushers? There's one right over here, some right up here in the front. Praise the Lord. Would you take a moment of reflection, please, and pray for yourself before your Lord? Hallelujah. We've had our moment of affliction. If you'll pull back the first tab, you can get to your, it's a little bitty piece of fine plastic. Pull that back and you get to your piece of bread. If you'll take that piece of bread, that represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. So break that bread. Now eat of that bread. You show the Lord's death till he comes. Now take of the cup and open the cup. This cup represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins on Calvary. You're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold that you received by the vain traditions of your fathers. But you're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. So drink of that blood. 
The Bible says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Now take a moment to worship him. Would you do that? In your own way, worship him. Worship him. Hallelujah. Father, we're thankful that you are living water. We're thankful, Father, that without you that we are nothing. Lord, this morning we pledge our full dependence upon you in everything that we do. Our lives, God, is dependent upon you for every source of life that we have. Every bit of fulfillment only comes by you. These cisterns won't work, God. They only, they only, they only help relieve for a while. But the end result is those that trust in them perish. But God, help us to trust in you, the springs of living water. You're the life-giving flow to the church. Help us, Father, to understand there is nowhere else to turn. You and you only have the words to eternal life. And this morning, God, as we worship you and we praise you for what you've done at Calvary, we magnify you, reestablish your relationship with us. Help us to become the reservoir of water, but let us have also, God, an outside faucet that bleeds out to the rest of the world. I pray and I ask this. Anoint us and use us. Let us walk out of that water bottle store. Help us to walk out of this church today full of the Holy Spirit, being God, a vessel that can be used for you to offer others that same living waters you've offered to us. I pray and I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.